The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to travel to the land of Canaan. Eventually they arrived in the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land until he came to the oak of Morah at the place called Shechem. The Canaanites were in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent there with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Abram pulled out from there and kept traveling toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'd like to begin today by talking about how important our Old Testament reading is for understanding the Bible, and then I'd like to relate what we learn about Abraham to the relationship that we have had as congregation and pastor. Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 12, and that's not too far into the book. We meet a couple named Abram and Sarai, who are later given the names of Abraham and Sarah, and since we know their latter names better than their former names, I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah. One day, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and so on. What is going on here is that the Lord is making a promise to Abraham and Sarah. Sometimes this promise is called a covenant or a testament. The Lord is telling them that he will be their God and they will be his people. Abraham and Sarah are going to leave the places with which they are familiar. They're going to leave the safety and comfort of their homeland but they're going to be all right because God is for them and not against them. Allow me to pause for a moment to point out to you how important this is. God tells Abraham and Sarah that he is for them. He's on their side. If God is for you, then who cares who or what might be against you? And the fact that God tells them this is very good. 
They're not left wondering about the inscrutable mysteries of God, who can know the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. But a person can know the mind of the Lord when God reveals his mind and his will. And that's exactly what he's doing. Here in Genesis chapter 12, he reveals his will toward Abraham and Sarah. He will bless them, and through them and their seed, the whole world will be blessed. Realize that although God chose Abraham and Sarah, although God made a covenant with them to be their God and bless them, this did not mean that their life would be painless, and whatsoever they might desire would automatically come true. That is a pretty common false assumption. When someone hears that God is for them, he or she might immediately think, oh, oh good. When so, the, uh, the things are just going to go exactly how I want. God, they imagine, is kind of like a genie in a bottle. And God will grant them all their wishes. This is obviously not the case, as anyone knows who has even a passing familiarity with the stories of the Bible, and this wasn't true with Abraham. In the chapters that follow our reading from Genesis chapter 12, we hear about all kinds of difficulties that Abraham and Sarah encountered. However, even though they went through painful, stressful, and harrowing adventures, God was nevertheless for them. He remained true to his covenant. I'll just mention one extreme test, which is horrifying to anyone who has the guts to take it seriously, the time that God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. As you know, God provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac, but that whole experience was terribly trying and awful. If Moses hadn't recorded it, I wouldn't think it would be possible that the Lord God would do that. But even in the midst of that great struggle, God was for Abraham and not against him. Abraham, for his part, believed God and this was credited to him as righteousness. You shouldn't misunderstand that statement to mean that Abraham's faith was some great accomplishment of his own. It wasn't like Abraham tried his hardest and never gave up, and voila, he thereby believed. No, it was the Holy Spirit in God's word of promise that caused him to believe. God said, I will be your God. I'm for you. And Abraham believed that God was telling the truth and not lying. If God wouldn't have told him what he told him, Abraham never would have believed. But by God telling him, by God giving Abraham the gift of faith, Abraham believed. And this was credited to him as righteousness. He was justified by faith in God's promise. Now I mentioned at the beginning that our Old Testament reading is important for understanding the rest of the Bible. 
It's important because it's the beginning of the story that is going to subsequently play out over the course of thousands of years, yes, even up to the present day. In our reading, you heard God's promise that he would bless Abraham and Sarah. He would make a great nation of them, and all the families of the earth would be blessed through them. And so it went. Abraham and Sarah had a son, Isaac. Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had a son named Jacob. Jacob, like his grandfather, would eventually get a new name from God. He was given the name Israel. And Israel had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. The Old Testament, with all its history, with its dozens and dozens of generations, is about the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose God was the Lord. All of this traces back to the reading we heard this morning. It all starts with God talking to a man named Abram, who was 75 years old at the time, and he promised him that he would be his God, and that he and his descendants would be his people, and they believed this promise, and their faith was credited to them as righteousness. And this carries over also into the New Testament. In our epistle reading, From Romans, Paul is making a wonderful and persuasive argument for why the real descendants of Abraham are not those who are descendants according to the flesh, genetic descendants of Abraham, but rather those who follow Abraham's example. Abraham believed. Abraham's descendants are those who believe God's promise and are justified by faith. This is how Genesis chapter 12 is important and applicable also to us, all the way down to our current time and place. Now, unlike Genesis 12, the Lord God has not appeared to us or spoken to us in the same way that he spoke to Abraham, but that was, not, that was never what was really important about what happened with Abram there in Genesis chapter 12. What was important was the content of God's message to Abraham. What was important was the promise that God made to Abram and to his descendants. Abraham came to know the mind of the Lord towards him, that God was for him. And we too have come to know of the Lord's promises to us. We learn that God is for us and not against us when we hear the good news of Jesus' full and complete redemption. Whenever you hear the good news that Jesus has died for your sins and that you are therefore forgiven, you are hearing something that's very similar to what God told Abraham, except, if anything, that message that you're hearing is even a higher and better message than the one that Abraham was told by God. And when you were baptized, God essentially said to you, I am yours and you are mine. 
I'm baptizing you into the death of my beloved Son, and you are now born again by the water and the Holy Spirit, so that through the forgiveness of sins, you are welcome to enter the kingdom of God. God most assuredly has said this to you in your baptism, for that is the meaning of your baptism. There is no doubt about God having said this because we know that you've been baptized. God gave you the message. You might not believe it, but that doesn't change what God has said or done. And blessed are you if you do believe it. Blessed are you if you believe that God is for you and not against you. Come what may, you are his and he is yours. And we've been given another promise, another statement of God's loving care toward us in the Lord's Supper. Jesus says of the bread, this is my body which is given for you. And of the wine, he says, this cup is the New Testament, that is the new covenant or promise, the very kind of thing that God did with Abraham. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you For the forgiveness of sins, as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is nothing other than Jesus saying to you that he is for you, God is for you, your sins are forgiven, God is for you and not against you. Blessed are you if you believe this. Through faith in this promise, you are justified. Now let's move to the relationship that you and I have had for these past 12 years. God has given me the job of telling you what God has promised. The gospel, baptism, the Lord's Supper, these are never-failing promises from God about his forgiveness and loving care for sinners. When you believe that God is for you and not against you because God has told this to you and you believe that he's not a liar, but that he's speaking the truth, then you are just like Abraham of old. He believed that God was for him and not against him. So my job as pastor has not been anything original or anything that came from me at least when it comes to anything that is truly worthwhile, I only repeat to you what I myself have heard from others. The gospel and the sacraments do what they do because God makes them work. Because God, who says them, is truthful. The one thing I will say about a pastor's effectiveness is that a pastor needs to be faithful to what he's been given to do. So a pastor needs to baptize. A pastor needs to not mess around with the Lord's Supper or the Creed. A pastor needs to actually talk about these things and not waste people's time with any number of other things, even if those other things might be more entertaining or more attractive to newcomers, or in some other way might seem to promise success for himself or for the congregation. If a pastor does not faithfully give out what he's supposed to do, 
Such a person, such a pastor would be like Abraham if Abraham were to squander God's promise by not telling others about it. Suppose that Abraham didn't tell his children and grandchildren about God's promise, but instead he liked to entertain them with jokes or stories. Or maybe he even liked to tell them about how to be a good citizen or some other important or useful skill like that. If Abraham wouldn't have told his descendants about this promise that God had made, then God's promise would not be known and would not be believed. Abraham needed to be, pro- needed to be faithful to what was given to him. How can anyone know God's will toward them unless it, it, it be told them? And so the most essential thing about a pastor is that he be faithful to what he has been commanded to give. What the pastor has been commanded to give is what also already belongs to all of you. When I speak of God's promises, when I administer the sacraments, none of that comes from me. None of that is secret. None of that comes from my genius. All of that is totally common property in Christendom. You all know all of that just as well as I do. And now this job that I have been doing is going to be passed along to somebody else. You're going to have a vacancy pastor. And then, God willing, God will give you another pastor to serve you full time. And these other pastors will inevitably be different from me. No two pastors are ever the same. God gives different gifts to all his Christians, including pastors. But although your pastors in the future will be different from me in terms of their gifts and personality, they will be giving you the same things that I've been giving you at least when it comes to the important things, the saving things. These pastors have taken the same solemn oath that I've taken to do the job of preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. It is God's promise that is so essential and so important, and it is by faith in this promise, faith that God is for me and not against me, that makes anyone a Christian. It is by faith in Christ that we are justified. So as my time with you draws to a close, what is good, important, and saving about the work that I have done is going to continue among you. I am sure that you are going to continue to hear, for example, that you are sinners, I'm sure that you're going to continue to hear that you are sinners who have been justified, made righteous by God in Jesus. God has worked these good things in this congregation before I ever came. And he has worked through my service, and he will continue to work in this congregation after I've gone. And if you hold to these promises that God has spoken to you, then we will most certainly see each other again. We might not see each other again in this life, although I'd like that very much. 
but we will certainly see each other again at the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. There we will be with a multitude who comes from the east and the west to sit at the feast of salvation with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the blessed, obeying the Lord's invitation, have mercy upon us, O Jesus. I'm thankful for the time that we have spent together. May God continue to bless us with faith in his love toward us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We stand to confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. <clears throat> 